Good morning. We pick up this week where we left off last week, um, talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive as Christians, and the gifts, plural, of the Holy Spirit. And we love things neat and put into little boxes and separated off, but I hope to show you this morning that it's all of one thing, and we have to get our hearts and minds around something quite interesting. And so today we're looking at the intertwining of grace and gifts. Now the root word in Greek, charis, is grace. Now George and Maria probably correct my pronunciation, but that word that we translate into English, charis, charis, grace, is the same word that is used for gifts, charismata, charisma. The charismata are in a sense the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gracings of the Holy Spirit. And one German theologian calls them gracelets. And wherever Jesus was active, if we go back and look at his ministry and we read the Gospels again, broken and destroyed creation, people's lives, situations, were made whole, both with the as a result of his love and compassion, which we see so often, his words, and the powerful, miraculous things that were done. There is no distinction. Not one is more important than the other. It's all wrapped up in the entirety of who Jesus is. He is the embodiment of grace, charis, and he is the incarnation of the charismata, the, 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 the grace, the grace of God in action. The charismatic man is Jesus. So this whole very sharp line that we've made between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, grace and gifts, is not really there. Charis, charisma in the New Testament is the concrete realization of God's grace. I'll say that again. Charis, charis and charisma the gifts, the grace of God. It's the concrete expression of the presence of God, His grace in action, His grace made real. As in Jesus, so in our own lives. And these charismata, these gifts, both ordinary gifts and what we would call extraordinary, natural and supernatural, brings the kingdom of God closer. It builds the body of Christ. It builds the wholeness of God's creation. And I found this definition somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but it says the gracious manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in and through, but going beyond a believer's natural ability for the good of others. That's what charismata are. They are these, it's the working of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God embodied in our own lives. But it's not only in and through us, it's not only our own natural abilities, and it is that. God uses our natural abilities, but it goes beyond that for the good of others. Charismata. There are about 20 that Paul mentions in the various writings in the New Testament. None of them are, there's no systematic list. There's no, these are the gifts. It's just a sense that whether it's the admin of money in Romans 12 or prophecy, whether it's hospitality or healing broken bodies. These charismata, these charismas, these gracelets, 
are an expression of God's presence in power through the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes no distinction, and I want to say this clearly, and I want to say it again and again. The natural, supernatural, ordinary, spectacular, extraordinary that we make a divide by. We want to see all the extraordinary stuff. We want to see the miracles and things. And yes, that's a very significant part of who we are supposed to be. But Paul makes no distinction that we should chase after those things. He's saying all of this is what makes for a complete and whole human being in Christ. We tend to split things off. We tend to make a big distinction between what is natural or supernatural, ordinary or extraordinary. Just a little aside here. It was very interesting in the, in, in the Acts, the book of Acts, that Luke writes to Theophilus to explain the uh, life and ministry of the early church. Christians are generally called the way. Now, in Acts 9, when Paul is moving off to Damascus to uh, go to the synagogues there to, um, we say, to persecute, but he was going to arrest and imprison the, 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 the Christians, he, he, it says that they were called the way. In Ephesus, in chapter 19, in verse 4 and verse 9 and verse 23, in th- on three occasions, the Christians in Ephesus are called the way. And even at the end of his life, Paul is still calling those who congregate in the name of Jesus the way. In Acts 24, verse 14, when he comes before Felix, he in this, this I quote, he says in verse 14, I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. Paul is self-identifying right at the end of his life still as a follower of the way. And Felix then addresses this and said uh, in verse 22 that he was well acquainted with the way. Now, obviously, this is a reference uh, obliquely to the fact that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. But it's also a reference to the way in which the followers of Jesus actually lived. What they did, who they were, how they were together as a community, as a body. And it's important. And and why is it important? Because it has more to do with what they were doing and who they were than what they believed. Um, we, We make a split. We make a split between belief and behavior. Uh, um, when Jesus came to say and said the kingdom has come, it was his works and his work words, they were all one. The belief and the behavior, it was all one and the same thing. What we do is split things off. And it's only much later that um, it says the Christians were first called, um, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. And then only later on, and, and still uh, very powerfully through the centuries, that Christians were defined by what they believed, rather than the way that they lived. Now the reason to talk about all of that is that when it comes to these gifts of the Holy Spirit, we have split them off and have made a study of them individually and out of the context of all that's going on 
in Paul's letters and in the, and, and in the life of the early church. Now, it's not, it's not wrong to, to uh, uh, look in detail at each one, healing or speaking in tongues or hospitality or anything like that. But what I'm trying to get at today is the way in which we split off these different aspects of the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the community of believers. All of it is, is vitally important. All of it is normal for those of us who are f- followers of Jesus, the way. Now, if we go back to the passages that we read on Sunday, and I'm going to just briefly look at each of them. Romans 12 is the first one. And then make a few comments and then uh, wrap this up. Romans 12, we know well. Romans 12 begins with this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What Paul is saying is that in the presence of God, the action of the Spirit of God is the transformation of the individual and the, and the community of believers to become more and more like Jesus. And that is an act of worship. That is our act of worship. And then he goes on to say, For by the grace given to me, to say, every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so he moves in from this aspect of transformative life and worship, how we are transformed by our minds and our lives being renewed. He he speaks immediately of the fact that what this does is it shapes us and we must understand and recognize ourselves as a body, as uh, belonging to each other, as connected to each other, as vital to each other for the functioning of the whole body. So it's only in this context of transformation and change and the body needing each other, that he now begins to talk about what we call the gifts. And he goes on to say in verse 6, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging him, let him, let him encourage If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And he he rounds it off, all this talk about the gifts, and it's more like what he's doing is throwing out a whole list of, of things that are just at the top of his mind in terms of what these gracelets, these charismata are. In verse 6 it said, we all have different gifts. And yes, we do. I'm different to you. 
you different to the person next to you. And together we all form a unity, a, a, a body that expresses the fullness of who Christ is in the world that we live in now. But it does mean that, as we said last week, we have to be stewards of the manifold grace of God. Because we are the ones that He is relying on. It, it's in and through us that the Holy Spirit takes the grace of God and makes it concrete and real in the world that we live in. These two words that are used in verse 6, we each have different gifts, charismata. We each have different charisms. We each have different gracelets. And it's given to us according to the grace that is given us. And, and so Paul is playing on this thing of grace and gift all the time when he's talking here. Then we move to 1 Corinthians 12. It's a similar passage, and again, when you look at the context, it's very interesting, because he starts out in 1 Corinthians 12, and he says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers. Now, that word gifts is not really part of the original Greek. It's um, pneumaticon, which is really spiritual matters, spirituals in a, a direct translation. Now, he, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual matters, like the pagans are. And he talks about that and he moves on. In verse 4 he says, because there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, in verse 4 he uses the word charismaton. Again, the easiest way to describe that, charisma, charismaton, charismata is to say these are the gracelets that are part of what the work of the Spirit is beginning to produce in my life and in your life. There are different kinds of charismata, but the same Spirit. And this is, goes back to what we said last week about we, we, are all, we all have the gift of the Spirit that Jesus gives to us. And these gifts in plural are the way that the Spirit manifests Himself and the life of Christ in and through us, that we become the concrete, like Jesus, the concrete expression of the grace of God to bring healing and wholeness to a broken and destroyed world. And he goes on then to say, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. There are no passengers, no spectators. We are all caught up in this thing. The body that has, um, has something that is missing is in some way deformed and crippled. If we do not exercise as good stewards, 1 Peter 4 verse 10, of the manifold grace of God, if we do not, uh, each one of us, do and serve and believe and speak and live according to the way, then there is something missing in the whole. We are less because of that. And so he says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now he's talking to the church here, but it goes beyond the church. We've talked about neighboring. We've talked about reaching and seeing the kingdom come 
in our communities. This is a reference. You see, again, the gifts are uh, uh, tied into the concept of the body of Christ, the community of believers. And he basically goes on to then say, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, discernment, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to, to still another interpretation of those tongues. So he lists a whole lot of things that are um, quite remarkable. And then he goes on to say, all these things, all of these, are the work of one and the same Spirit. Just as the Spirit determines, He gives to us gifts. And as I said right in the beginning, and I just want to read that again, I said this is the definition that we see, that charismata are the gracious manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in and through, but going beyond our natural abilities for the good of others. It's not hostile to who we are. It's not hostile to the, the natural gifts and talents that we have. The Spirit just energizes everything. And if we are open to Him, and if we are willing to risk and take a step out of the boat, we can see things that happen way beyond what we even began to think. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one, just as He determines. And then He goes on in verse 12 through to the end of the chapter, to talk about one body with many parts. Paul does not speak about the gifts, the charismata, in isolation. He talks about it in the context of the body of Christ, working together to see God's kingdom come, to embody, incarnate the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And then, of course, we know he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Do, does everyone have this? Does everyone Is everyone an apostle? Is everyone a prophet? Is anyone, whatever, have gifts of healing? And he's saying, of course not. But he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, there's been some debate about what the greater gifts are. Jesus said in John's Gospel that we would do greater things than he had done. And when he's speaking about healing or teaching or evangelism or prophecy or being a prophet, that we have uh, made such a massive distinction between the office of an evangelist or a prophet, and these are high and mighty individuals. Really what's going on is, Paul says to Timothy at one point, do the work of an evangelist. And what he's really saying to Timothy is, you know, Timothy, you may not be a great evangelist, but whether or not you are, we all called to be evangelists. We all have to be open to the Spirit to speak the good news to the people that we come across. And the same with prophecy and healing. The same with um, generosity and hospitality. We all are called to all of those things. But there is this moment, this miraculous thing that happens for us on some occasions where it goes way beyond. And sometimes we get to a place where we we, we, we have enough faith to begin to see God move in new and profound ways in our own life. Now, just a few comments to end with. I've said in, in a variety of different ways so far, 
the distinction between fruit and gifts is one that we make too deep at our own peril. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the way, the people of the way, as Paul said he was, as we are as well, are ones who by their behavior, by their belief, by the way that they live and act, show who Jesus is, embody the life of Christ in all his grace and in all the gracelets, the charismata, that are part of the gift that the Spirit brings to the church, through the church, to see the world made whole. So let's keep some sort of balance and some sort of understanding of that. The second thing is to understand that the list is not complete. Paul didn't uh, gather around all the apostles and say, what are the 12, 20, 21, 10 best gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and which are the most important? He's basically saying, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he, he, he throws out a whole lot of things that are part of what we are called to be as the church. And he's saying, live this stuff, guys. Live it. Put it into practice in your daily experience. And as you take the step of moving out to speak to your neighbor, you may not be an evangelist, but the Spirit of God comes in and he, he, the, the grace of God through the Spirit is then gifted and becomes concrete. That grace becomes concrete and something happens. And again, I just want to reiterate that there is no such thing as an ordinary or an extraordinary, a natural or a supernatural. We're called to be naturally supernatural in the title of one book. It's all one and the same thing. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to be anticipating, expectant, excited to see the possibility of all of this. In the days ahead, we'll have a look at prophecy and healing and um, discernment, maybe a couple of other of the gifts. We'll, we'll separate them out. But the principle is this. We have to exercise and take the step of risking to do these things. It's then that the Spirit comes. It's a little bit like the eaglet when it's uh, it pushed out the nest by the mother. And it falls until it begins to stretch its wings. And if it doesn't, the mother comes and picks it up and takes it back and they try again until it does. And really what I think God, God is urging us as the church is he's saying, get out the nest, move. You can have as much teaching on healing as you like. The best thing to do is to say to somebody, you're sick, can I lay hands on you and pray for you? And don't second guess. Don't say, well, if this and that, just pray for them. And say, look, I'm an apprentice. I'm a beginner. I'm not well versed in this. I don't have some magical gift. I just know that God is great. When it comes to prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, if God drops something into your mind or your, your heart, test it. Don't say, thus says the Lord, but just get on and say, I have a sense maybe that God might be saying this or doing this. People will reject it. They might, they might not. But you're never going to know until you begin to walk and get out the boat. So, God's desire is to see his kingdom come. He's given to his church the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And just as the Father gave the gift of the Son to come to show us, to incarnate, to embody what it look, the grace of God looked like. So he's now saying to the world, I give the world the gift of my body, the church. And we are called to incarnate the grace of God, the charis, the charismata, the gracelets, the concrete realization of God's presence in grace and love. And let me end with this. When Paul has finished talking about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and the, the way it works in the body, the community of believers. And he says, look for the, 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 most, um, the best gifts, whatever that means. He then says, but let me show you a more excellent way. And he spends an entire time in one of the most poetic and beautiful passages in literature where he talks about love. All these gifts, all the charismata, all the gracelets of God are wrapped up in the understanding of what it is to love one another and to love God. In that context, if you take what I said last week and this week, we will look over the next couple of weeks, maybe in a little bit more detail, at some of these things that Paul mentions in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But let's remember... It's the grace of God in action. And it's worth reading that again. The charismata are the gracious manifestations of the Holy Spirit working in and through, but going beyond a believer's natural ability for the good of those around us. Amen.